Everybody's feeling a little, little self-satisfied. Yeah. All right, it's good. This whole self thing is satisfying. <laughs> it is satisfying. What show are we? We're thinking like a lawyer. Okay, good. Yeah. Well, yeah. If you oh, all, I are... thought this was a Jabot. Oh, oh no, it's that's another, another show. That people I was all be excited. To. I had my I had my guest appearance voice on and everything. That was the <laughs> I was trying. All that right. was me trying to channel Catherine there. This is Joe Patrice from Above the Law. I am joined by a couple of other people from Above the Law. Uh, He's so Ka- salty. I Ka- love it. Catherine Rubino and Chris Williams are both here. We uh, do this show every week to talk about some of the biggest stories in the legal sphere uh, mm-hmm. over the last week. Uh, but first, we always have a little moment where we chat with each other to just kind of, yeah. 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 So if, does anybody want to start that? Sure. I think you do. No. That's right. <laughs> this is our small talk section. How's everybody doing? I'm doing pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have family in already for the Thanksgiving uh, holiday. They came in the weekend before. So, that. yeah, well, where my sister lives, they get the entire week of Thanksgiving off. So Sweden? they have <laughs> Texas, as it turns out. <laughs> But they had the whole week off, so they came up to sit, spend it with me. It was great. Oh, well, I feel feel sorry for them. So how's... Wow. Oh. Wow. They oh. were very excited. They went to see their first Broadway show this weekend. Well, that's cool. Yeah, was it Book of Wicked. Mormon? No, it was Wicked. Wicked. Gotcha. Uh, you know, uh, a fractured fairy tale, as it were. My sister's a teacher and apparently just finished that unit in her English class and was like, I'm going to use this as an example when we get back to school so that was great uh yeah how about you chris were you doing anything fun this weekend Wait, texas they they let you make references to witchcraft in texas <laughs> yeah i was gonna say that's not gonna work fly for a long. yeah that'll be wicked wow mm-hmm. wow I'm, yeah. like alphaba flying this, at the end this, of act this, one of wicked this self-satisfaction shit is good yeah fuck fuck buddhists <laughs> oh, you suck <laughs> you're such a jerk that wasn't very enlightened of you joe no. Um, <laughs> let's see. See, but now he is joining our self satisfied train. I <sighs> don't know what you're talking about. Listen. So uh, we were talking to Chris, what he was doing this we past were. weekend. Yeah. So I've been listening to a bunch of lectures because that's the type of uh, monster I am. And that's how I, that's what I do for leisure. There's this guy, his name is uh, Arthur Jaffa. Uh, Jaffa. He did this, um, this like seven minute video. It's, uh, it's called Love is the Message, the Message is Death, which is a, a compilation of um, black life, really. It's 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 really interesting. Um, it's short. And I associate him with, um, you know, thinkers like Saidiya Hartman, um, Fred Moten, Horton Spillers. Just brilliant, brilliant shit, stuff, stuff the guy's putting out. And I, I gave a lecture today on um, the Red Record, which is a comp- which is an analysis of lynching that Ida B. Wells did, I want to say, in like 1905. And I'm planning mm-hmm. on comparing that to the Black Lives Matter movement. Tax stuff aside, I think is also a contemporary report on lynching. And I'm hoping to have my students look past the idea that history is like an old thing. I think it still animates the stuff that we engage with today. And hopefully I'm just trying to make it seem like a I think that applies to their lives. You know, this thing from 1905. Um, awesome. 
How about you, Joe? Did you do anything fun? I had bourbon. You bourbon. <laughs> so yeah. Okay. Yeah. So with that, I think uh, I think we come to the conclusion of small talk. You know, Joe's small talks are always intense. Oh. <laughs> I like that now you're not just interrupting me. Yeah. yeah. No. So anyway, it's so equal we, opportunity interruptions. We got a lot to talk about uh, in the legal world. <laughs> we got two major topics, but uh, we'll talk about them in different ways. Calidus AI cleverly supports you by suggesting relevant law to address your complex issues. Put in simple questions or longer fact patterns, then Calidus asks you to confirm if points are salient before proceeding. Use Calidus to check if you found all the key concepts, cases, and statutes. Calidus turns that into a high-quality, customer-ready document. Handle complexity confidently with Legal's most advanced AI platform. Get $90 off your first two months. Use promo code Joe at CalidusAI.com. That's C-A-L-L-I-D-U-S-A-I.com. Hey, Guy, what's up? Just having some lunch, Conrad. Hey, Guy, do you see that billboard out there? Oh, you mean that guy out there in the gray suit? Yeah, the gray suit guy. Order up. There's uh, all those beautiful, rich, leather-bound books in the background. That is exactly the one. That's J.D. McGuffin at Law. He'll fight for you! I bet you he has got so many years of experience. Like decades and decades. And I bet, Guy, I bet he even went to a law school. Are you a lawyer? Do you suffer from dull marketing and a lack of positioning in a crowded legal marketplace? Sit down with Guy and Conrad for Lunch Hour Legal Marketing on the Legal Talk Network. Available wherever podcasts are found. All right. So first big topic is rankings. The U.S. News and World Report, an ostensible news magazine that really hasn't done that it's a in a long time. Publication. It's really just a series of rankings. The U.S. News Law School rankings have been incredibly influential. Everyone kind of uses them as guidepost of what the state of a particular law school is in relation to others. Anyway, Yale Law School made the decision that they were no longer going to cooperate with U.S. News, and they were, quote-unquote, withdrawing from the rankings. Uh, this kicked off. Uh, Harvard joined them at this point. As of this recording, we've got, what, Harvard, Berkeley, Columbia. Georgetown. Georgetown, Michigan, Michigan. I think. Yeah have all pulled out of the rankings, which is a bit of a misnomer, in my opinion. U.S. News has made a statement uh, that they will continue to rank all of the law schools. And if they don't provide information specific that U.S. News is looking for, they will do it based on publicly available information, which a lot of the employment statistics are available through NALP. A lot of, you know, the, the kind of tuition-based stuff is publicly available, et cetera. And, and the law schools are also frequently publish a lot of the other information that originated in, in, in importance because of U.S. news. Well, in a lot of ways, like the biggest single factor in the U.S. news ranking are the evaluation of peers, uh, like mm -hmm. what, what lawyers think of the university. So to the extent, or the law school, I should say, uh, to the extent that that is the biggest factor and it's something that the law schools have no control over. Uh, yeah, uh, there's yeah. very little here that makes even a lick of difference. I mean, I think the best case scenario for the schools that have decided to, quote, pull out of the rankings is that this movement puts pressure on U.S. News to change their formula in some way to, you know, whatever they're hoping for. But to be very clear, they will 
continued to be ranked. Yale is likely to still hold the top place in the next year's U.S. news rankings, despite this PR pullout move. Yeah. Now you now you say PR, uh, which I think I, I find that a lot of the coverage has been generally supportive of these schools for doing it. And, and look, we we here at Above Law have a rival ranking uh, that we have always trumpeted as a response to U.S. news to the extent the U.S. news is way more focused on inputs. By to that be clear, mean, the word there should have been better. We have a better ranking, but yes, go on. Well, so the U.S. news is very fixated on inputs, uh, what the GP, average GPA and average LSAT score of the, the incoming, incoming classes. Right. Which now that is that is information that usually the schools provide. And so with that being taken out of this equation, U.S. news is going to be more uh, similar to us, sort of, although they're going to continue to pretend that they can just guess what people's LSATs are and stuff like that. Uh, with that said, or maybe they'll get it straight from LSAC, frankly. I, I don't even know. But And it's also true that, again, maybe because of the import that Ella, that the U.S. News has put on it historically, you can find a lot of that information from the law school's websites themselves. Average LSAT, average GPA, et cetera. Well, the argument is that they uh, well, so we've always, however, fixated on outputs. Uh, right. We more highly weight whether or not you go to that law school, are you going to be employed at the end? Now, the the issue in this is you could say, and several law schools for years have said that they don't like that it's input based and prefer something that's output based, to which we usually say we've already got that covered here at Above the Law. Uh, now, if that were the reason why people are pulling out, that's all well and good. But it does not appear to be the primary reason any of these law schools are giving for why they're pulling out. I'm glad you took the, the obvious verbal cue and asked. Uh, so what Yale cited in its, uh, its decision, and everyone else seems to be mirroring, is this, and this goes to Catherine's PR point, mm -hmm. this largely contrived argument that what they're doing is it's a stand in defense of public interest work. Uh, you know, the, the ranking just doesn't care enough about people going on and doing public interest work. And so we have to withdraw from these and give no more support to these rankings. Uh, this is complete nonsense. <laughs> uh, it is true there are things that are happen that the rankings, the U.S. news methodology where they put their thumb on the scale in ways that are not really paying attention to how, you know, like that hurt public interest counting, sort of, especially at the elite level. That said, the primary thing they are complaining about is that Yale will, for many students who are interested in public interest stuff, they will fund fellowships, basically a graduate working hoping to work in public interest yale will pay their salary to go work for some organization for a year or sometimes two but a year mm -hmm. that's US, not a long-term job well so the argument is that by yale funding this for these organizations that don't have a ton of funding themselves you know hopefully on the back end of that maybe that organization will hire the graduate or maybe not, but who cares? Because the 10 month window by which we account whether or not a graduate has gotten a job in law mm -hmm. will have run. So who cares on Yale's perspective? Now, I don't think Yale is really that cynical about it. You don't. I don't. I, I think, I mean, look, a Yale grad is probably going to be employed at some point at the end. But the issue is US News stopped counting school funded jobs for a reason, which is that 
during the Great Recession, tons of law schools started doing that in order to gain and juice the statistics to make it look like their graduates were getting jobs when they weren't really. This was especially a problem at the lower end of the rankings where students who already didn't have many great job prospects, they were trying to prop up, the schools were trying to prop up their scams, basically, by making it look like everybody was getting jobs and continuing to charge people to go to law school without many prospects. For this reason, the ABA came out and said, we're not, we don't think you should count that anymore. The U.S. News agreed and stopped counting that. And Yale's complaining that that stuff doesn't count. Uh, Now, that said, they also are complaining, what if one of our graduates decides to go get a PhD? And I'm like, well, then they're not employed. That's not unemployment. Yeah. That's not employed. I don't know what to tell you. But it's such it's such crocodile bullshit. Well, also because fundamentally Yale is not being hurt by any of these U.S. news decisions. It is number one in the rankings. It has always been number one in the rankings. Because scoreboard. Yeah. 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 And they are likely to continue to be number one in the rankings. Right. And, And so that's the thing. To the extent that they say, oh, well, we're different than those schools in the third tier who were taking advantage of this so you should count this it's like well you aren't being penalized by it if we reverse course on this policy either a you want us to reverse course just for you which is not really a well it's not really a a methodology methodologically sound way of doing a ranking or you're saying we should just do it for everybody and then you're just inviting that abuse at the bottom. And this is why I think it is very PR based as well. So far, the only schools that have come out against the ranking are already in the top tier T14 currently schools. I think that if they're correct that and this is becomes the way forward, it will more likely hurt not their students, not their potential students, but students who are going to the lower tiered schools. It's almost as though they're couching themselves in this kind of noble language of, oh, well, you know, we've got to we've got to withdraw from this ranking that doesn't reward our public interest work. And it just is nonsense. One of the things that Yale's talking about also is that the school penalizes us for offering opportunities to people who can't necessarily go to law school. And what they mean by that is that the rankings and this is this is a fair criticism of the rankings that the rankings calculate based off of average debt load. Uh, now, granted, this is only like 5% of the ranking, so it's not like it's a big deal. But And again, the people who are doing the complaining are already number one and correct. in zero danger of losing that ranking. But, but they want to calculate, but U, U.S. News calculates off of average debt load as opposed to like full sticker price tuition. And there are arguments going both directions, but one of the arguments against counting average debt load is obviously if you then let in a bunch of affluent rich people, they have less debt on the back end, even if the sticker price is higher, which is why our system tends to go based on on sticker price as opposed to their uh, US news going off of debt load. But it's also just such a ridiculous thing to base on, to complain about. It's a, only 5% of the whole ranking, and B, no, you aren't actually being penalized for reaching out and letting more people go to law school. What you're being penalized for is that you charge those price. people. Yeah. Yeah. Like, because if you're giving scholarships to those people, it's not really a problem. Right, because right? then their debt load is not impacted. Their debt load isn't impacted, and therefore you're, you're doing right. good thing. Now, their argument there is, oh, well— 
that is a problem for us because if what we were doing is giving them discounts on tuition and scholarships, then that's money that we aren't spending on the student body, like in the, the expenditure to student ratio doesn't count that, which means that we're getting dinged for that and it pushes us to have higher tuition. It's like, A, no, it doesn't. Just lower tuition for everybody and everybody's better off. Uh, but they don't. They don't want to do that. They don't see that. it quite that way. Because that's the whole scam of this. It's yeah. ridiculous. And I think that the, look, we're all in agreement here at Above the Law that Above Law's rankings are cooler and that it's better also to Also more not dynamic, more likely to change based on the actual outputs, which change more frequently than the inputs do. So it's actually a more realistic reflection of what's currently going on in the law school world. Yeah. Not to mention the name is much cooler. Like U.S. World News sounds generic. It sounds like a generic knockoff product you get at Walmart. Above the law, that's flashy. There yeah, right. Well, and and the uh, Yale and Harvard are not in our top 10. Right. And the reason they're not in the top 10 is because our model is based on maximizing the value of your degree vis-a-vis how much it costs. And it does it, it agrees that Yale and Harvard would be your most valuable degrees to be getting or more valuable than some of the ones that are up top. But the reason schools like Duke and Penn do really well and UVA do really well in our system is because they are also elite T14 degrees that you can get for less money. Yeah. Wait, it's not because yeah. of Amy Wax? No, <laughs> it is definitely not because anyways, you know, one of the criticisms I, I got over the weekend from somebody about this was that, oh, but your system cares too much about money uh, because we do consider the average salary that somebody can get with a degree from that school as an advantage. Uh, so if you're going into big law and making big law money, that will help the school's ranking. And the argument was that that's kind of detracting from a public interest focus. And I I think ultimately my justification of it is I don't think it does because I think that the people who are going to go into public interest are always going to go into public interest. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, though, if you're trying to evaluate the value of your degree and the flexibility of it and the ability of it to go from one good public interest job to another, the best proxy you possibly have for that is are my peers graduating with me from my class demanding top salaries from elite law firms because that suggests that my degree is valuable. And it's the difference between me going to one small nonprofit and me going to like a very big nonprofit. Uh, yeah. I mean, listen, there's also elitism in the nonprofit yeah. world, public interest world, 100%. And I can say kind of it is a real life experience. I have family, a family member who's currently applying to law, law school, and I've spoken to him extensively about the process. And I keep on reinforcing the idea of checking out what the average salary is, where people are likely to work at each of the schools that he's considering. Uh, because what I think people really need to understand is that law school is not some pure academic experience. It is a professional degree. It is designed to get you the job that you want. Right. And if you, and it's true, you will have fewer opportunities to get the elite jobs the further down the ranking your law school is. Down and, the U.S. news ranking. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, also ATS. Also, well, sure, that. <laughs> But but the point is, the more elite your law school, the more opportunities you have. And you have to look at that because your degree will forever be 
on your resume. We're talking about Supreme Court justices. Immediately, the first thing is Harvard Law graduate, Connie right. Brown Jackson. These are. This is a something that will always stay with you, and uh, and it it can severely change what opportunities you have available upon graduation. Yeah. And, it's, and it really is worth buckling down on that because there was one other thing besides lawyers being, um, I feel like lawyers would be great people to target for gambling because it's like, it's always like, I know, but I'm the smart one. I'm yep. different. I'm going to graduate in top of my class. Nobody gives a fuck about that. It's a given that you are smart um, unless you like say things like see you next Tuesday and the judge catches it. I mean, those people happen. But like the way right. that you- That the way is that the you, story. The way that you- have something that's quantitative when everybody is qualitatively smart, you have to look to some other metric and the metric people use is prestige. So like, mm -hmm. yes, if you're going to Rutgers law, it's a decent school, but the idiot that's going to Yale is going to get first pick over you. Yep. Yeah. And I, I like your, I really like your point about everybody thinks they're the exception. Uh, they will look at a law school and say, oh, only 20% of their people get jobs. I will be in that top 20%. Mm -hmm. I have always been in the top 20%. And I'm it's like, like, yes, as an undergrad, as, as the pool gets more elite. Everyone going in was in the top 1%. Like, right. like so like an undergrad, I got two degrees, was in the honors college, did an extracurricular that was basically spicy nerds yelling at each other. I touched down. I mean, I was a boat builder. Like, I was an anomaly. I touched down. Everyone else was also an anomaly. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. law school doesn't attract the people who flunked off unless their parents were very rich. It's generally the people who think that, oh, this is a place where I can succeed in an aggressive environment where we yell at each other. Who have a who have a who have a chip to prove because since they were eight and they were annoying, they were told, "Hey, you'd be a good lawyer." Like these are people that do this. You're annoying. Like, you should go to law school one day. Right. Yes. And and what I'm what I'm saying, what I liked about your everybody thinks they're the exception point, is that it really comes down to, and this is another thing from my uh, discussion with critics over the weekend. It comes down to what you think a rankings is all about. Uh, and they were like, oh, well, we should be rewarding schools for having programs that, you know, help encourage people to get public interest jobs. And I was like, no, a ranking is about telling somebody who is thinking about going to law school where would be a good law school given their situation. Right. And so it's not about, oh, you know, more a few more people went into public interest law from this school. It's like, well, sure, but what does that mean? What is the evaluation of whether that's a good public interest job or kind of a bad public interest job? Uh, if it's not the kind of public interest work you want to do, does it count? A better way of doing that is by basing it on how the market as a whole evaluates the quality of that degree, because the point of the ranking is ex ante. It is about you thinking about what law school to go to, not about patting a law school on the back for what it does afterwards. Wait. Law school rankings are not meant for law schools. They're meant for prospective yeah. applica applicants. Yes. And that's what a ranking's about. Applicants. I yeah. got there eventually. Yeah, 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 sure. With, uh, and, we weren't going to we weren't going to criticize you. And one and one odd thing to point to that on I think the is the impl implication. Of, oh yeah, never, never, never that, never in public. Yeah. Another thing that's weird to think about is there are some niche situations where a lower ranked school may actually be better for a person applying, not just necessarily because of cost, but because of connections. For example, if you plan on working in the Philly market, you're probably better go going to Rutgers or Temple than say 
maybe even Washu, which is likely higher ranked than most other places. But Washu has has difficulty with placing people in places outside of, you know, either like major legal, the specific markets that it caters to. Right. In the but when you're looking market, at yeah. in the Midwest market. But yeah, but when you're looking at over 100 schools to qualify and rank those places, you have to go to certain types of abstractions. Right. So it's also important when you're looking at these scales to factor in what's really being said here. Right. It's 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 difficult. It's difficult to do. So one of the metrics people point to is something where they have an actual number they can pinpoint, like, oh, this person makes X money, right? Yeah. And yeah, that that's a great point, too. Geography is a huge factor in making your final decision. That's why I always say you use the rankings to figure out the tier of schools you want to talk to, basically, and then you make your actual decision based on these additional considerations. Well, I'm sure this is a evolving story as more schools pull out and U.S. News responds to the ongoing controversy. And I'm sure that's something we'll revisit in the future. Okay, we're back. And you know what that sound means? Bonus season! Yeah, the Big Law bonus season has kicked off uh, a little bit early. Uh, usually it's usually Not it's as like, early as it's ever been. We've correct. had it as early as the first week of November. Yeah. Um, this is a little bit later than the earliest, but certainly you we're looking at Thanksgiving week to the first week of December as historically the most common time that the first firm announces the bonuses. Right. And Baker McKenzie has come out, which uh, Baker McKenzie has led the charge in the past, but normally they aren't the ones that do it. Uh, they are kicking off the scale at 20 grand. That is five grand more than the prevailing market bonus. That said, they did give 20 grand at the, at the to the first year's last year. So they're as well. matching their own salary. So they're really matching their own. That is a good point. But it but I still think that's significant. So some detractors say, "Oh, they're just matching their own." I still think it's significant because they were an early mover last year even if they weren't the first mover uh, and they gave that and they have decided it wasn't at the time you felt like maybe what they were trying to do is Cut off the ability to be the, and the yes. Last year was a crazy year. Last year there was a ton of bonuses and matching and re-raises, etc. I think maybe they were trying to say, no, this is this is the real number. Right. They were trying to re-raise on somebody right. last year, uh, and then that didn't happen. Uh, at that point, there's a lot of incentive to say, oh, we we tried to we tried to go out on our own and we got burned, so let's go back. They did not do that, and I think that is a significant thing that they still want to do that. Now that said, there are some some knocks on it. They do not give bonuses to people who joined in the fall. Most firms. So that's stub year. That's stub year, as we call it. So they don't. People who graduated this year from law school are not getting a bonus at Baker. Right. Uh, norm a lot of firms give a prorated bonus for the amount of time that they're there, but they don't do that. Uh, they also have a 2000 hour billable uh, minimum to qualify, which in most years is pretty easy to get. But you know. Well, and the other thing I would say, I think this kind of pulls into our conversation that we were having previously about how lawyers always think that they're the special ones, that they're mm -hmm. going to be fine. And particularly if you're looking at which law firm to go to is also something to think about. Everyone thinks, oh, as long as you hit these billable numbers, you're going to get it. I'll I'll perfectly fine being billing that many hours. And it's not always your choice. It's not always, oh, I'm willing to work as much as what work is available. Yeah. And firms that give it regardless of billable hours, there's there's some real benefit there, particularly yeah. as we are heading into a questionable recession. Right. So if you're if you're an M&A associate uh, in the latter half of this year, you might not be hitting your 2000 hour target. And it's not because you 
are lazy or didn't want to, it's because that work just didn't show up. It's where the market is right now. And yeah, question so that's about, an unfortunate. Yeah. Question about uh, bonuses. Is it is it is it an anomaly for bonuses to also coincide with uh, shadow layoffs? Should people that have made it this far assume that they have some job security that they didn't a week or two ago? Or how does that work? So, well, I mean, the bonuses happen no matter what. They That is a... Even if people are getting cut. Yes, that is a train that's that's never late. Uh, large, and you know, it's not just because, and it doesn't necessarily factor into the layoff issue because it has reached the point. I'm going to quote a little bit from Christmas Vacation here. Uh, this is the this is not like a bonus. Like, hey, we had a good year. Here you go. Uh, these bonuses may be set based on that, but these are so traditional and so baked in. People count on this bonus as part of their salary. Uh, this is really salary, and so to that extent, you do you do keep getting bonuses even when layoffs are happening because the people who you are retaining are planning on getting that right. bonus. And that, that's the thing that, that I'll say, too, is they announce these numbers, but oftentimes it takes a couple of weeks or even months for folks to get their individualized notice, like, yes, you are, in fact, getting this. Now, if a firm, it, which we have not heard rumors that it's happening at Baker McKenzie, so, but if a mythical firm is also doing stealth layoffs at this time, though that associate will be told, you're not meeting performance standards, you're, you are not getting a bonus, um, you have three months to find a new job, or, you know, here's your severance. But everyone else who, quote, still meets these performance standards will get the market bonuses. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And now we also have heard rumors of law firms trying to tie bonuses to office attendance in their weird. Uh, there was a great article. I can't remember if it was Bloomberg or Law.com or Law360. Somebody wrote an article recently that <laughs> that made the analogy that the office attendance thing is becoming the white whale for some of these <laughs> law firms. They're, they're running around. They, everyone kind of agreed that we were going to go to a hybrid work model. And then we've talked on this show about these firms that are deciding, oh, well, what we're, we're going to be hybrid, but we're going to mean you have to come in these days and only these days, like getting rid of the flexibility, which is the whole point of it. It's becoming a white whale for certain managing partners and they're fighting desperately against the you know current of history to bring people in and one of the rumors we've heard is that some firms are going to attempt to make the bonuses contingent on you you being here monday through friday or monday through thursday or whatever literary comment literary yeah. comment for the listeners who are below 60 um because i'm also recognizing that uh, I'm, just, I'm just fucking with you joe but yeah like that thing where you recognize that people are not not able to read cursive anymore because it's not being taught. Not uh -huh. everyone just might be familiar with Moby Dick. So a white whale is like a, a damn near mythical creature that everyone's trying to chase. You see, you know, you say over 60, I, that somebody who was around when that book came out would be like 150 or something like that at this point. <laughs> I'm pretty well, confident well, everyone caught listen, up. Given, given that you made the reference, I'm just trying to be generous with aging you here, you know? Okay, I fair enough. Quick 90 uh, years. I'm pretty confident everyone was caught up. Uh, <laughs> we, we think our listeners, you know, who are always at the top of any ranking in our books. Including uh, age. No, it may... <laughs> Hey, anyway. if you are, if you, if you are, just because it didn't know who the listeners are, if you are 25 listening to this and did not know what the white whale meant, 
send us an email at tips at yes uh, yes actually this is a great poll everybody write in to say chris is completely wrong obviously we know what a white whale is i took a literature class once yes i know what a white whale is i mean i've watched a cartoon in my life they make the the spongebob makes jokes about this come on all right everyone knows who barbara streisand is i mean yes they do (laughs) other than you um all right yeah that's out of pocket but uh, to be very clear, though, about these uh, attendance requirements, we have no concrete information as of yet that any firm has actually linked bonus money to uh, office attendance. I think what is probably most likely if they if a firm does go this way is that at the end of the year, they'll announce that in the future that will be true. But I think most firms will not do it for this year as it was not previously announced as part of the requirements to get your full bonus. So my guess is that if it is coming, it's a little bit more of a longer tail. Folks will have an opportunity to adjust their schedules and their lives uh, to orient themselves that way. But as of right now, we have no information that someone is actually doing it. Hey, you know, if your firm is doing that, please let we us would know. love to know. So let us <laughs> also know. Also at tips at abovethelaw.com. That's right. Okay, with all of that, let's, uh, let's wrap up. Thanks for listening, everybody. You should be listening to this every week. You can subscribe. That way you get them when they come out. You should give it reviews, write something, give it stars. It's always awesome. Uh, you should check out other shows. Catherine's the host of The Jabot. I'm a guest on the Legal Tech Week Journalist Roundtable. We, we, you know, there's a bunch of shows at the Legal Talk Network that we aren't on that you should check out. You should be reading Above the Law so you can read about these stories and others as they develop before we get a chance to chat about them here. You should be following us on social media. The blog is at ATL blog. I'm at Joseph Trees. Catherine's at Catherine One, number one. Chris is at Rights for Rent. I guess those are all Twitter handles. I'm assuming Twitter will still exist by the time you hear this. But frankly, frankly, who knows? Thanks to uh, sponsors and stuff. And I think that's uh, everything. Peace. If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the unbillable hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.